your day just got a whole lot better. You're listening to the Mutual Audio Drama Network. The following audio drama is rated R and is recommended restricted for anyone under the age of 17. Season of the Sonic Society, and oh, that's right, David. You clever, clever man. He knew that with the Vidrix attempting to tear apart all of the audio space, the membranes between the entire podiosphere would be fragile enough that with some focused, triangulated bursts of the tortoise, time or radio theater interdimensional sound vehicle. We could create a parallel schism that would simultaneously return me from the fusion with the heart of the tortoise and reintegrate the damaged sound line, sending the previous David back to the past. But but that means I'm on the deck of the Vidrix YouTube ship and in a perfect position to rescue David as the ship even now passes through new audio space towards rude alchemy. the year 2015, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down, what once was right is wrong, and those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theater are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives to broadcast from a South Seas barge crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan and several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring you the triumph, the majesty, the sublimity of rude alchemy. Prepare yourself, dear listener, for a journey of such utter ecstasy, it will consume your every waking moment. For this time, on Rude Alchemy, we are proud to present Carver Cranebottom, Bone Detective. Carver Cranebottom, Bone Detective is brought to you by Gus O'Reilly's Breadline Placeholding Service. Don't whine, let Gus stand in line.
Great gouts of fog, thunderheads of the stuff, plodding like some ghost-white behemoth across the inky night, fog so rich you'd think it was a galloping wave of ice cream you could perhaps dip your finger in, and wanting to preserve those small tastes of summer through the palsied winter nights, you could then dribble the spoils into the warm recesses of your beard. Or if you're a lady, into the warm recesses of your armpit beard. Or leg beard, or nether beard. Sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. But women were disgusting hairy monsters then. This was Europe, after all, in the 19th century. Did I forget to mention that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's 18-something. It's the past, anyway. And Europe, England specifically. <sighs> Where was I? Uh, 1800s England. Uh, yes, fog! Ethereal fog, amorphous fog, rolling like a torrent, cloaking the rooftops, carpeting the cobblestones, and just beyond the lamplit glow of the city, descending into darker territory. There, in the unpeopled night, as the spuming mists spill all around, a group of men are hard pursuing some secret labor. That's it, lads. Put your backs into it. Twenty pounds to the first man who brings our treasures to light. Twenty pounds? Here, Professor Ornsby. Bring that lantern over here. Ooh, thirsties. Oh, bloody hell. Over here, Professor. Who's that? Is that you, Paul? It's me, Professor Hornsby. I think I've got something here. Saying it's me in the dark isn't really going to get us anywhere, but let's have a look. Is that it? For God's sake, Professor, it's only a bit of bone. Not what you were expecting, Barry. I don't care what it is, as long as I get my 20 quid for festies. You was promising treasures. My dear fellow, if only you knew what treasure this is. Professor Hornsby. The incomprehensible history contained within this book. Professor Hornsby. It predates any other skeletal discoveries in all of England. Professor Hornsby. Yes, Paul, what is it? I still get the 20 quid for festies, don't I? Stop saying firsties. And yes, all in good time. In what time? Don't be so short-sighted, man. Why, the value of just a fragment of this bone would provide for all of us for the rest of our natural lives. You don't say. And there's dozens more yet to be unearthed. So put your backs into it now. The men dug with a fury new awakened while Professor Hornsby hobbled to and fro, casting the lantern's weak glow about their pit. Twenty pounds to the first man who brings our treasures to life. While far off on the top of the hill, an early rising parson discerned their little nest of light amongst that sea of frothy fog, and just before the dawn broke, he heard their harrowed screams. Later that morning... Parson Partridge, I'm Police Constable Runyon. This is Police Constable Basil. It's such a relief you're here, Constables. No worries, Parson. We'll sort this out for you in no time at all. No time at all? But it's going to take some time, isn't it? Well, certainly it will take some time. I was just trying to put the parson at ease is all. Right. Well, you're hardly going to put him at ease if you're lying to him from the start. It's an expression, really. I would hardly call it lying. Oh, so it's pop in. Hello, how are you? Right, your problem solved. No time at all, is it? Well, technically, what you did just took some time, even. Are you getting smart with me? No. Right so, Parson. Don't worry about Constable Basilton. He's new. Bit of a rookie. So, you say you heard screaming, but you didn't actually see anything. That's correct. I heard the screams around the time the thunderstorm rolled in. Uh, terrible screams, but I saw nothing because of the fog. I sent a message to you this morning before setting off to approach the site, but, but the stench, you see... The stench was truly horrid. I could get no closer than some 50 yards off before I had to turn back. Right, so we'll go have a look then, shall we? The two constables wound their way down the hill towards the site of the dig. Who, Runyon, who farted? Was it you? What did you say? Who, but it does stink. It's just as the parson described. But do you remember there being a thunderstorm last night? Hold. Who's that? Hold you! Don't move! He's not really moving to begin with, is he? He's not presently, no, but I shan't want him to dash off and disappear into the wilds. The wilds of the wide open fields. There are hedges. Carl and Barry digging away. Uh -huh. He's still alive. Good God, what is all this? Digging away, away, away. 
What is that you say? Twenty pounds to the first man who brings our treasures to light. I've never seen anything like this, have you? I haven't. But I may know someone who has. He's an expert archaeologist. Something of a savant, really. But he's also a bit of an eccentric. Well, that's all right. And womanizer. <laughs> who isn't? An amateur chemist. Okay. He's a black belt in karate. Uh-huh. A cricket goalie. Really? An absinthe mixologist. This goes on for some time. Union lumberjack. Perhaps you'd like to take a moment to top off your cup of tea or chef. fetch a fresh oh. biscuit? Very gifted but lover. British, isn't it? Tea and biscuits. He's ordained and, uh, minister. Let's see, what else? Cricket for sport. <laughs> and, uh, oh, colonialism. Horrible, bloody, genocidal colonialism. Metallurgist. Meteorologist. And his blood type is the universal O. All right, Basilton, let's see this man. Atop the soft, quaking timbers of a sleep-sodden bed, where little light enters a stained raspberry from thick, tightly drawn curtains, their dusty, dull red ripples resembling folds of human flesh, and that pastry-warm light. And there now slips the skin-colored bevel of an exquisite calf, the leg of a woman, soft and pink, naked, almost shimmering in its supple shape. Seems she has shaved this leg. Good for her. It's good for him, too. Huh? <laughs> oh, my. A bum! There's a bum! A bum is peeking out! Oh, wouldn't you know, the bum appears to be pretty hairless, too. Wow. So she must be a trendsetter or. Interruption of the softness with the knocking! What the deuce was that? I already did. What? I already do. Stop. Just stop right there. Hello? Who's there, I say? It's me. Not you. Father? Basil? Jessa. Jessa, I know your name is Jessa, Jessa. Are you repeating it so you won't forget? What? Ridiculous. Basil! Carver? Come in, come in. Carver, I'm indisposed. Nonsense, you're naked. That's what I meant. That's not what you said. If now's not a good time... Hush now, Baz. We'll just fetch a robe for Jessie. Jessa! My pet name for her, of course. Off you go, my dear. And who is this sturdy-looking fellow? Police Constable Runyon. Runyon, how do you do? Carver Cranebottom, PhD. Is it all right if we have a few moments? Certainly, certainly. This is police business, is it? Not a chat with an old mate? Baz and I came up in the old orphanage together. I told Constable Runyon of our history. Hard times, those. Of course, there were plenty of gay times, too. In those days, gay just meant happy. Not that there's anything wrong with the other. You know, I just... I don't want you to get the wrong impression, but this was not that. Of course, there was the occasional queer time as well. Queer meant strange. And every now and then, the brief but magical bum-tickling time. I cannot speak for that. Yes, sorry, just police business today, I'm afraid. Well, I can tell you I've been in all night. You can ask Jephthah. Jessa! Jephthah is a man's name! When did you learn so much? It's not about last night. Well, it is technically, but it's not about you. Well, then why on earth are you here, old Baz? Well, it has to do with your expertise, you see. Does he mean... Jesus, Jessica, where did you come from? Jessa, and I've been here the whole time. I thought you were fetching a robe. These gentlemen can't spend the whole day ogling your perfectly sculpted thighs and buttocks, not to mention your... Actually, Mr. Cranebottom. Dr. Cranebottom, if you please. I don't have a robe here. This is your house. Ah, it is, isn't it? Must be why they've come calling for me here. Why did you come calling for me again? Your expertise. Archaeology? No. Cryptoanthropology? Not quite. Bones! I, I thought you said he was an expert on bonery. Oh, he is. Oh, I am. Aw, Thank you, Vanessa. <laughs> Poor thing. Well, gentlemen, where are these bones you're so anxious about? That's the problem. You see, Carve, the bones are missing. And so are the poor fellows who are digging them up. The good doctor and the good constables returned to the site of the excavation. There, Carver Cranebottom studied the castings left by the enormous bones that had very recently occupied the muddy pit. The stench had dissipated somewhat, but the constables stood with their mouths handkerchiefed while the bone detective worked. Any ideas, Carve? The imprints are much too large to be human or any beast of the modern era. I suppose they might belong to a dinosaur, but the impressions they left behind are so perfect, it, it is as though they had been entirely untouched for centuries before being torn from the earth. It's who did the tearing that we're interested in. Someone with incredible skill and tremendous strength, I can assure you. 
And you say there is only one surviving witness? A professor of ancient history or some such thing. Apparently the leader of the dig, but a regular lunatic now, Carve. He's gone mad with whatever he's seen. They have him at the St. Morris Asylum. I should like to speak with him. A waste of your time. Nevertheless. The whimpered hoots and hellborn howls reverberate from the stony walls of St. Morris Asylum. People by the dribble-stained and shaky-eyed, those timeless, fierce-bearded martyrs of society's unwashed nether plain. Yes, there, that sooty, groinal, lice-infested pinch of flesh and foulness, where either sits a sopping cave of horrors or dangling mallet to perfuse it. Yes, I'm speaking of the nasty bits, the private parts, not the delicious golden apple globes or soft hilly rumps, but the dirty place where babies are made and wine goes to die. There where... Uh, where... What? Damn it, I've gotten lost in the metaphor. Uh, something about crotch-like filthiness, so... Uh, oh, St. Morris Asylum, yes. There, in that castle of crazies, the... Bone-hungry trio made their way. I'm sorry, sirs, but Professor Hornsby is still being evaluated. Sorry. <clears throat> sorry, uh, I think I should clarify the unintended double entendre there. The bones over which they are hungry are actual bones and not some kind of childish slang. I'm sorry, sirs, but Professor Hornsby... For penises. Sorry. Sorry. Please carry on. I'm sorry, sirs, but Professor Hornsby is still being evaluated. It does not seem he is communicating coherently. Coherent or not, I should still like to speak to the man. The evaluation will likely last several more hours. That long? Yes. Or maybe that long, eh? I don't know. Y you can see what I'm doing, right? That long? Or maybe that long? Yes, I can see you. <laughs> Sight gags are difficult to register amongst the great cauldron of wit and repartee that have doused the story thus far. Uh, suffice it to say that Constable Basilton is making a joke about penises, the size of them in particular, and the fact that Carver Crane Bottoms is probably quite large. Again, uh, well, you know. You see it? Yes, I see it. He's not actually showing it to her, it being his friend's penis. My hands? You see what I'm doing with my hands? I certainly do. It's really not what you think. That's enough of that. I need to speak to the professor. Now, constables, break down this door. Basilton, I'm not certain he's actually behind that door. Why, Runyon? Afraid I might be on to something? Only if you want to be on to breaking into a closet. Why on earth would I want such a thing? Aha! And? It appears to be a closet. Nurse, whose jacket is this? I'm not sure, sir. Aha! It's my jacket. Still could be aha. We don't know who he is. Who are you? I'm Dr. Thane. I'm still holding out. I have been examining Professor Hornsby while you have been harassing my staff and smashing my doors. Damn! And what news, Doctor? Are you certain the man was a professor? As far as we know. Well, the man seems more a sportsman than a professor. The scars from the bear trap on his right hand seem proof enough of that. You don't say... Anyway, we are not likely to know the truth of that story. The man has not communicated anything in the Queen's English since arriving this morning. Has he communicated in something other than the Queen's English? You'd be hard-pressed to find someone who'd know, except in some of the old drooly beards around here. Not long ago, he'd begun scribbling this. What's that? Give it here. That's nonsense. Pure chicken scratch, I'd say. But it looks to be the same pattern over and over. Uh, pattern or not, the doctor's right. It's other nonsense. To the untrained eye, it might appear to be. Who are you calling untrained? Well, Runyon, I'm pretty sure he was calling you untrained. Unless you weren't calling me untrained, were you, Carl? No, right? Probably you were calling Runyon untrained. Right? I was calling Constable Runyon untrained. Aha! Well, his eye, really. I was calling his eye untrained. His eye is part of him, so I stand by my aha. What the devil are you going on about? What you call chicken scratch is actually a cipher, a code, written in runes unused since antiquity. Perhaps the professor's mind is shut down, so only the sections retaining his knowledge of ancient languages remains active. This is his way of communicating the horrors we have seen. Well, what does it all mean, Carl? I'm afraid I haven't the slightest clue, but I know someone who might. The estate of Dr. Wesley Danderduff, high atop Hobblehead Hill, 
its dark stone towers reaching like steeples to the curling clouds of dusk. The courageous constables and learned libertine await in the entry hall, while all about them the evening's candles are lit, and farther without, the first stars of twilight shimmer into existence. Bit of a cold reception, eh, Carl? Bit of a cold history, Baz. Dr. Danderduff was my patron, as you will remember. He was the one responsible for my moving out of orphanage and into university. But as my education accelerated, I was able to surpass him in many regards. The old doctor got a bit jealous, did he? I cannot say I blame him. I was something of a protégé. But where I was able to expertly locate and identify all manner of artifact, both organic and non, his facility for ancient languages was unrivaled. He still remains the greatest cryptographer I know. Cryptographer? Like babies? In cribs? No, Runyon, you idiot. Cryptographer, like exploring ancient crypts. Actually, I'm afraid you're both off. Cryptography is the art of solving codes. You don't say. Because Basilton here was so convinced he had it right, he took to calling me, his partner, an idiot. Your guess was far more idiotic than mine. Was it? Was it really? I'd say we were both pretty far off. Oh, so you're admitting you were off? Uh, I am. Carver, I'm sorry, but we must alert the presses. Constable Ned Runyon just admitted he was wrong about something. Oh, bugger off! After you! Gentlemen! Who's that? It's the butler. Huh. It's about time. Master Danderduff will see you now. Right then, lead on. Not you, gentlemen. Just Dr. Cranebottom. That won't be possible, fellow. We are here on official police business. Then Master Danderduff suggests you gentlemen charge him with a crime against the laws of Her Majesty the Queen, with whom he has kept an audience on more than several occasions. See here, constables. He'll be more willing to help us out if I go alone. It'll be all right. Up the stone stairs winding high into a tower, past a hallway of taxidermied beasts, each one fiercer than the last, their black, soulless eyes ever watchful in the gloom. Wait, wait. Did that one just move? Oh, St. John of God, I think that boar with the saber-like tusk just lifted its forehoof. Is it looking at me? Don't look at me! Don't! Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Uh, oh, excuse me. I am so sorry. It just really looked like... Uh, never mind. Carver Crane Bottom and the spooky nameless butler arrived at a door flanked by two great arctic bears, their white coats dimmed to a dull grey in the underlit hall. Dr. Carver Crane Bottom. Well, well, well. What a special day. Carver Cranebottom in my home. And he's brought the police. I'm consulting with them. Bone detecting, eh? As you say, some bones have gone missing. I don't have them. I never said you did. And what do I owe the pleasure? It's been ages. Wes. Dr. Danderduff, if you please. Doctor, something unbelievable has happened. These missing bones are frightfully enormous. They should be older than the Colosseum, yet their castings are in perfect condition. Now they've been spirited away, seemingly lifted by the very angels themselves. The only remaining member of the team who executed the dig is in St. Morris Asylum blowing bubbles in his milk, and now he's started writing in runic code. And that's why you've come to me, is it? Want me to help you on your fantastical missing bone adventure? When was the last time you ever had to ask for help with anything? Oh, come now, Wes. Don't let your pride sour the opportunity to do some real good here. Real good? What's so real good about wasting my time with the scribblings of a man you have attested is stark raving man? Well, you won't even look at it. Why should I? To play the preposterous game of a spoiled rascal? Why, you foolish, short-sighted, jealous old shell of a man. Look at you. Clutching my lapels so fiercely. What do you intend to do? Shake me into submission? Apologies for the interruption, sir, but a message has just arrived for you marked urgent. Good heavens! Release my master at once! Shall I show Dr. Cranebottom out, sir? Or would you rather I summon the constables who accompanied him? Quite all right, Deborah. 
Let's have the message, then off with you. As it pleases you, sir. His... His name is Deborah? Yes. It's an old family name. People might scoff at your name, too, you know. Carver, how scandalous. Another old family name, I suppose. The only gift I retain from my true parents, as you know. Seems like it was some sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. What with a brutish way you jostled me just now. I'm sorry, Wes. This case has me near to obsession already. You know how my curiosity can ravage my manner. But I do hate it when you continue to treat me like a child. Of course, of course. How did you feel? Inconsequential, incapable. No, 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 no. I meant how did you feel when you grasped me so savagely? I, well, I suppose I should leave you to your message. Good evening. Carver, let's have a look at that cipher of yours. Truly. Thank you for reconsidering, Wes. I mean, uh, Dr. Danderduff. Yes, yes, yes. If it's all right with you, I'll transcribe on the same scrap of paper. But of course. Very good. <clears throat> so, let's see. Hmm. Appears to be pre-Saxon. Vaguely... Ogum-like, in fact. Well, then. Ah... Here we are. Oh. Oh, good God! What? what? What is it, Wes? What does it say? Are you feeling flushed? Why are you opening the window? You'll catch cold. Wes? Wes? No! Good heavens! What's happened? He's thrown himself from the window. A likely story. Stay where you are. Constables, help! Help! My master is dead! the cypher say? Why did Dr. Danderduff leap to his death? Who names a spooky butler Deborah? As a cascade of approaching footfalls echo through the hall, Carver Cranebottom awaits the answers. Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective is brought to you by Huxley's Cacao Root Elixir. The secret ingredient is 40 years of tradition and cocaine. I hope you found that episode to be a visceral attack on the senses so overwhelming in its complexity that it caused you to abandon your deepest held beliefs like a mama koala tossing her cub into the gnashing maw of a leaping puma in order to save herself so she may once more taste the eucalyptus leaf twist and crunch in her bitter infanticidal teeth. I know I did. Be sure to tune in next time, as if your now physically and chemically dependent brain would allow you any real choice in the matter. Rude Alchemy is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Kane, Mr. Andy Wertner, and Mr. Ryan Whalen. Carver Crane Bottom Bone Detective Story by Mr. Wertner and Mr. Kane. This episode written and edited by Mr. Kane. Featuring the voices of Rude Alchemy with Mrs. Angela Wertner as Jessa and Mrs. Ashley Hodgkin as the nurse. Music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Rob. For a listing of Creative Commons sound effects attributions, visit RudeAlchemy.com slash attributions. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This podcast is a serial narrative, a story told episode by episode. Consequently, your listening journey would be best begun at the beginning. That's Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective, Episode 1. It is the year 2015, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down. What once was right is wrong. And those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theater are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives to broadcast from a South Seas barge crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan and several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring you the triumph, the majesty, 
the sublimity of rude alchemy. Previously on Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective. That's it, lads. Put your backs into it. Twenty pounds to the first man who brings our treasures to light. I'm Police Constable Runyon. This is Police Constable Basilton. I heard the screams around the time the thunderstorm rolled in. I've never seen anything like this, have you? I haven't. But I may know someone who has. Carver Cranebottom, PhD. Where are these bones you're so anxious about? The bones are missing. And so are the poor fellows who are digging them up. The imprints are much too large to be human or any beast of the modern era. And you say there is only one surviving witness? A professor of ancient history or some such thing. Apparently the leader of the dig, but a regular lunatic now, Carve. They have him at the St. Morris Asylum. Not long ago he began scribbling this. That's nonsense. Pure chicken scratch, I'd say. What you call chicken scratch is actually a cipher, a code. Well, what does it all mean, Carve? Dr. Danderduff was my patron, as you will remember. Carver Cranebottom in my home. Want me to help you on your fantastical missing bone adventure? Why should I? Why, you foolish, short-sighted, jealous old shell of a man. Look at you, clutching my lapels so fiercely. Good heavens, release my master at once. Let's have a look at that cipher of yours. Oh, good God. Wes, no! Ah! He's thrown himself from the window! Stay where you are! Help! Help! My master is dead! Ah, you've returned. I can't say I'm surprised. Our last episode was so intensely mind-altering that we lost all faith in the fragile strictures holding this tepid existence together. What are you prepared to lose this time? Your mind? Your heart? Your very soul? Oh, it makes no matter. These losses pale in comparison to the acquisition of another listen to Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective. Carver Cranebottom Bone Detective is brought to you by Bouvier's Eating Tobacco. Delicious as a salad or a garnish, choose Bouvier's when you want thick, hearty leaves that you can really sink your teeth into. Clanging hinges, raw ankles and wrists, and the fevered, frantic, violent air of captivity, and of men cramped and shackled in a building altogether too small for them, that heaving, shifting mass of broken humanity, incapable of the slightest adjustment from their rigid positions. No, I'm not talking about Congress. <laughs> okay, that, that, that part wasn't in the script. The last thing I want to do is get into a political thing. But everyone can come together against Congress, right? No? Really? Okay, moving on. When we last left our dear hero, he had just witnessed the shocking and sudden suicide of Dr. Wesley Denderduff, occurring immediately after the good doctor had cracked a mysterious cipher. As Carver was the sole witness of the gruesome scene, he was also the sole suspect. So despite the vigorous protestations of Basil Basilton and Carve himself, Officer Runyon, emboldened by the testimony of Deborah the butler, threw our hero into the London clink to rot like last year's Christmas pudding in an unventilated crawl space. Sounds rather bleak, does it not? Well... The silver lining on this guillotine is that our boy Carve managed to snatch the snippet of code cracked by Dandeduff before he was unduly detained. Inexplicably, the snippet read. Slash, slice, sink, or sliver, the tickler's grin will deliver. But what could it mean? What is the tickler's grin? Why the elaborate code? Why did this impel West to commit suicide? Why don't you shut your fat gob for a minute? I beg your pardon. You heard me. 
and I've heard you. I've been hearing you go on and on and on about this code and this suicide for the whole bloody morning. And frankly, it's making that part of me that likes to break things and hurt people start to itch. And I just know, when I start to itch, it won't be long before I have to scratch. Now see here, you. Uh, now, uh, what, what exactly is your name? Butcher. Butcher Bagwell. Ah, well, nice to make your acquaintance, Butcher. Likewise. My name is Carver Crane Bottom, PhD. Oh, yeah? Carver, eh? Butcher and Carver. <laughs> we just need us a candlestick maker, and we'll be ready to shove it up little Jack Horner's ass. <laughs> Won't we, Carver? <laughs> um, I'm not sure that's how it goes. You're not so nimble now, are you? You little plum-stealing twat. Um... We'll rub-a-dub your fat wife's stupid face in our tub, too, you skinny git. I don't think that's the same Jack. Teach you to steal other people's golden eggs and personify musical instruments, you incompetent cow-hopping piking! Butcher! I'll kill you, Jack! I'll kill you! Butcher! What? Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Got a bit carried away. <laughs> Joe, what you in for, Carver? Oh, it's all a terrible misunderstanding. You see, I'm a bone detective. A what? Bone detective. Yes, that's what I thought you said. And in the course of my bone detecting, I was the sole witness of a crime. Now, due to a blundering butler named Deborah, I have been wrongfully imprisoned. Deborah? It's an old family name. What are you in for? I lost a lot of money to a partner of mine. And, well, I tried to kill him. Was it Jack? Who's Jack? You know, um, from the fairy tales. Where'd you get that stupid idea? Oh, oh, okay. I was just, you know... Honestly. Really. You think I tried to kill a fairy tale man? Does that even make sense, Carver? Ask yourself. Ask yourself if that makes sense. I, uh... Go on. Go on. Say, Carver. Does that stupid, bloody, ignorant question I just asked Butcher Bagwell make the least snuff a sense? Really? I... No! It doesn't. See, I answered it for you. No, Carver, it doesn't. Well, I guess I'll shut my jabbering buttonhole then and let this nice man butcher sit here in peace for a blooming two seconds. Fine. You know what? I'll just leave you alone. In fact, I'll walk over here and... What's going on here? You didn't know? Prison's on a chain shortage. Two con wicks a chain. A chain shortage? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, really, Carve? A chain shortage doesn't make sense? I suppose me killing a bleeding, non-existent, imaginary, children's fairy tale man makes sense. Or, or, there being so much bloody bone crime in this city that it justifies creating a subgenre of detective exclusively for bone-related mysteries. Sure! Bone detectives make much more sense than chain shortages! Alright, fine. I guess we're stuck together. But not for long. What? All right, you two against the wall, you're being transported. Mom's the word, eh, Carve? Moments later, Carver and his aptly named companion were hustled into the prison's horse-drawn buggy. Steam rolled off the horse's thick, muscled backs like smoke from a fire. The magnificent beasts haughtily snorted as the guard patted them down, hitched the carriage, and vaulted to his seat high above the bustling street corner. The guard was one of those unfortunate fellows whose speech knew no filtration. His monologue was so incessant that one might suspect it continues uninterrupted, even after all other parties disperse. And that was the end of my first year of prison guard training school. I had made a lot of friends, learned new things, and shot my teacher one time, but that was on accident. Year two, a fresh start. The leaves were changing, and my best friend, Renaldus Tetherpot, came bounding up to me, clutching his books to his chest excitedly. Did you hear about Headmaster Wiggins and his flatulent parrot? he exclaimed. Why, no, I replied, even though I had. I liked the humor, Renaldus. He was a sensitive boy, and I felt protective of him, like a father or an older brother. I would come to learn a lot about Renaldus that fall, more than I ever dreamed, for you see, Renaldus and I... Dear God, will he ever shut up? Shh! Keep it down. At least it keeps him busy. Listen, we're making a break. What? You heard me. I'm busting out and you're coming along. Fantastic. What's the plan? Not so fast, Bones. 
We've got to make a deal first. What deal? You think I'm going to bust you out for free? I can get out any time I want. I'll bring you along on one condition. You help me with a, um... Bone-related robbery. Oh, so suddenly we're in favour of bone detecting. All right. We don't think bone detecting is so stupid anymore, do we? All right. We need bone detecting. We love bone detecting. We want to marry bone detecting. Stop saying bone detecting. Yes, I need your bone skills. I need your bone skills really, really bad. You might say, I have an itch. And the only your deep, solid bone skills can scratch it. Okay, when he says that, he doesn't mean... You know. Fine. You break me out, I'll assist with your bone-related heist. Deal? Deal. Now, what's the plan? Do I subtly distract the guard while you quietly yet efficiently commandeer the horses and guide us to a blacksmith we can bribe to undo these chains? Something like that. Hey, God! Changes. Yes, not only in the leaves, but also in my own heart. Renaldus was not as strong as he was during our freshman season. No, his pallor was somewhat alarming. And though he still met me on the squash court at dawn each day, his service game was not the brisk, vibrant force it once was at. Yes? Take this! Dear God! How's that for a plan? That was absolutely horrid! Yeah. You don't call me butcher for nothing. <laughs> Come on, this is the spot. <laughs> Tie him up your horses. I, I, I. What's the matter with you? That, that, that man, you, you, you just. Uh... <laughs> Fun, wasn't it? <laughs> well, hardly. I, I've never. Come on, wipe that drool off your lip and tie up those horses. Certainly, but. Where's the key for the shackles? In my pocket. And that's exactly where it's going to stay until you've held up your end of the bargain. Come on, this way. Much to Carver's surprise, Butcher Bagwell had led them to the world-famous British Museum renowned for its historical exhibits, with which Carver was intimately familiar. And by intimately, I don't mean he penetrated the exhibits physically or that they penetrated him. So please, wipe that grin off your face, listener. Thank you very much. You know, I'm really sorry. I I know you didn't think I meant that at all. I I really do. I just feel like any time I mention anything that could be construed as remotely sexual, I have to comment on it. I can't stop myself. It's, It's really hard for me in social situations. You know, like... When married couples say something like, Oh, you know, Susan and I are trying. And then I just have to say, You mean having sex, right? To make a baby? I... I don't know. Anyway, shortly thereafter, Carver and Butcher entered the famous British Museum disguised cleverly as tour guides. And if you're wondering how they managed to procure tour guide uniforms so quickly, well, perhaps that's best left to the imagination. I murdered two tour guides with a lead pipe and took their uniforms. Ah, well, there it is. On with the story. I say, Butch, this uniform fits a bit snug. Oh, really? I, I can get you another one. Uh, no, 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 that's all right. Really, it's no trouble. I appreciate the offer, but... Uh... It'll just take a minute. Oh, no, no, really, thank you. All right, suit yourself. Where have you two been? What? I've got a group of Spaniards waiting for you at the Egyptian tombs, and a convention of Oriental businessmen waiting for the Natural History exhibit. Chop, chop. No, you, you misunderstand. Shut is it, Carl. Uh, right, we'll, we'll take care of that straight away. Go, come along, Carl. What are you doing? I, I thought I was here to do some bone detecting. You are, but we got to wait till nightfall. Meanwhile, let's be the best goddamn tour guides we can be. This specimen, as you can see, is from the Cro-Magnon period. And these are the things with ancient ladies wore on their nipples. And also, they could fly. Ah, great question, Wangsu. A fossil is of non-human origin. However, an artifact is a product of human activity. And one time, the Tyrannosaur boffed a cave lady. And that's how come now there's giraffes. Well, that's it, boys. Time to pack it in for the day. Off you go. We might stick around a bit, Guff. Stick around? After closing? Out of the question. Out of the question, eh? Butcher. What, Cov? 
He don't want us to stick around. Listen, my good man, this isn't my usual modus operandi, but I'm afraid I must threaten you as subtly as possible with physical violence if you continue to hinder our plans this evening. Plans? Why, you insubordinate plebeians! In my two and a half weeks as secretary to the assistant to the tour guide manager, I have never been spoken to this way. I insist you give me your name so I can recommend you for termination. We're not really tour guides. Right, we're criminal murderers. Well, he's a murderer, I'm not. Well, you're at least an accessory at this point. I I don't like to think of it that way, that those murders were independent of mine. We're not not, not strictly mathematically speaking. How so? Well, I killed two tour guides to get two uniforms. If it were just me, I would have only had to kill one. I suppose that's true, but had you consulted me, I would have recommended a chemical sedative or a well-placed nerve pinch so as to avoid the taking of human life. I don't get all high and mighty. I saw that look on your face when I got to the last one. What? What? That'd be absurd. I, I abhor violence. Ha! Oh, God. Imposters, please! Quiet, you! <coughs> Dear God, what have I done? You just gave him a little smack and knocked him down, that's all. Now, why don't you finish him? What? Of course not. Uh, uh, we'll tie him up, yes. Nah, what's the fun in that? Does that sound like fun to you, mate? Actually, that sounds like more fun than any other idea you two might. Shut it. <coughs> Watcher, stop it. Right, right, my apologies. I did promise you could finish him up. Go ahead, then. Here, borrow my lead pipe. I... (sighs) Refuse. You've got that look on your face again, Bones. No, I haven't. What look? It's hard to describe. My father, he had that look. He was the real butcher. And a real mean bastard. Every week, on slaughter day, I'd come down early in the morning to help. Way early. Well before the sun. And he'd be sitting there with that look on his face as if he'd been up for hours already. I think maybe he had. We'd go in the back and he'd hold the piggies by the chin and slice. And they would scream. And he never said a word till it was done. Then the look would drain away and he'd be bloody and tired and disappointed and mean as ever. It went on that way until the sickness wiped out our herd. With no piggies left to slaughter, I didn't see that look for quite some time. That is, until one day I walked into the back and saw my dad holding his slaughter knife and pointing that look at me. Well, he didn't count on me being faster than a piggy, so I grabbed the knife, jumped on his back, held his chin, slice. I walked out. When I caught my reflection in the glass of the shop next door, you know what I saw? That look on my face. Same as you got now. It was then that I knew who I was. Same as my pop. A butcher. We've all got a little butcher in us. A calf. The museum guy got away. Damn it, Craig Bottom, how'd you let that happen? You were the one who had to take five bloody minutes to tell your bloody origin story. It was good, I was distracted. Don't tell me it's good. I know it's good. I want a damn sort of story contest. Come on, we've only got a couple of minutes before the fop sends every carpet in London down on us. We're heading down to the museum, Crips. Time to put your bone skills to good use. Now get behind me and prep yourself to slide down the tunnel. I don't even... uh, I wasn't even going to draw attention to that one, but just... He meant it literally. It's not a double entendre, really. I'm sorry. One, two, three. At first, only darkness. Then, slowly, light from the tunnel opening began to mingle with the dusty expanse of the crypt. All manner of ancient horror was incrementally illuminated. You see, the the crypts housed the museum's unnatural treasures. Those items of such twisted and unexplainable curiosity that the curators daren't let them see the light of day. 
There, a, a tiny man no taller than a drinking glass, perfectly preserved in a crystallized sphere. Here, a, a Roman coin depicting a monstrosity in Caesar's garb. There, an enormous church bell, ordinary, other than the gnarled, fleshy fist serving as the clapper. Perhaps strangest of all, a veritable heap of sarcophagi, piled high as a pyramid themselves, almost carelessly, priceless artifacts, all yet discarded and forgotten like refuse by a roadway. What unnamed terror prompted some long-retired curator to banish these treasures to a dusty cellar for countless decades? Unless it wasn't terror. And it was just that the museum bureaucracy didn't properly process the incoming artifacts. You know bureaucracies. Like when I tried to get a waiver from jury duty because of my severely sickled left foot. Yeah, I know I didn't mention that yet. But I walk with great difficulty because my left foot's sick or severely inward. It's involuntary and it is real. Please don't even begin to make judgments. It's radio, but if I wasn't here, I would gladly show you this thing. Long story short, they, they screwed up my waiver request because they processed it like I was claiming economic hardship and really it was physical hardship. So sick and foot to know I had to show up to jury duty. Anyway, uh, Mountain of Sarcophaga. My heavens, there are hundreds, no, thousands, thousands of sarcophagi. Right, and there's a bunch of coffins for mummies too. Now, in one of them is the item I'm looking for. The item that's going to make me a lot of money. You find it quick, and I'll unhook you, and we'll be on our merry way. What's the item? How the blazes should I know? My employer said the box was a special one. Said it would uh, stick out like a sore thumb to a bone detector. Hey, tick. Your employer specifically instructed you to hire a bone detector? Oh, not this again. Yes, I need your hot, sweaty bone skills, and I... No, 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 no. It's, it, it's just that there can't be more than two or three dozen bone detectives in this city, eh? it would appear to be quite a coincidence that I happen to be cellmated with you, a criminal in need of me, a bone detective. I, I don't know, Carve. Is it a coincidence that my one testicle is four times larger than the other? No, Butcher, you should really see a doctor. Or is it a coincidence that I spend my weekends living as an adult baby, pooping my pants and enforcing prostitutes to change me? Is that a coincidence? No, not at all. Uh... Or is it a coincidence that in prison I wrote a one-act play for the prisoners to put on for the guards, but no one wanted to do it? And my one cellmate said it was a dumb idea? So I pretended I was just joking, but I really wasn't because I had already finished my second draft and started some of the casting, but I was too embarrassed to admit it. So I just played it off and hid it under my bunk. Is that a coincidence? No, none of these things are coincidences. Oh, well, then I guess I don't really know what coincidence means then, do I? Can we please move along and stop like, analyzing everything that happens? Hurry up and find it then. Oh, uh, well, uh, of course. Uh, like a sore thumb, you say. Yes, easy as pie. And I am looking, and I am seeing what I am supposed to be seeing on the sarcophagus in question. Which is, of course, this one right here. Or maybe is it this one over here? Are you having a stroke? Uh, no, no, I've got it, I've got it! <laughs> As you can plainly see, they're all of Egyptian origin, elaborately decorated on all four sides. Go on. Except for one. This one. It's identical to the others, except it is only decorated on three sides. You can see that this side is totally blank. Go on. Egyptians decorated all sides of their sarcophagi because they were left in the center of the burial chambers. However... The Romans and the Celts decorated three sides, as the sarcophagus was always built against a wall. You said it would stick out to a bone detective. Well, this is causing my little bone detective to stick out most excitedly. I can't defend that. He's talking about his penis. Whatever's in that sarcophagus is not Egyptian. It's something Celtic or Roman, pre-Anglo-Saxon, anyway. Oh, I'm a Presbyterian myself. Well, all right then, open her up and hurry. The coppers are sure to be notified by now. Give me a hand. As the stone lid tumbled to the ground, 
A wisp of dust poofed up from the open sarcophagus, momentarily blinding our subjects. With their eyes closed, a hollow, bodiless scream passed their ears and rattled briefly in their skulls before continuing its escape out into the ether. As the dust settled, an evil, yet a mighty gleam emanated from the darkness inside the box. What's in there? Hmm, why, it's some sort of ancient dagger. Magnificent. All right, that must be the thing. Give it here. Now, just hold on a minute. I've never seen anything like this before. I, I want to take a look. No time for that, Cobb. I'm not going back to the clink. Curvature is most peculiar. A half-moon-shaped blade with large, almost tooth-like serration. Yes, fascinating. Hand it over, Cream Bottom. I won't warn you again. When you held it a certain way, it almost appears to be grinning. But dear God, the tickler's grin from Dr. Danderduff's cipher. Cream Bottom! Give me my payday right now, or I'll brain you. No. Hand it over. Never. Oh. Come on, come on, give it, give it, yeah, give it. Give it. Yeah. Oh, this is a nice-looking knife there, Carvo Power. Feels good in me hand, too. Let's see how she cuts, shall we? Did you ever feel a blade touch bone? Ought to be a lark for a bone scientist like you. No. Stay back. Stay back. Oh. All right, bone detective. Let's have a look at your bones. <laughs> Damn you! Cream bottom! Who? Who are you? Where did the gunshot come from? What does the sinister grinning blade mean? Whose menacing footsteps approach our hero Carver Crane Bottom? Bone detective! Carver Crane Bottom Bone Detective is brought to you by Wilson's Leather Pipe Cleaners. Because you're a man who smokes a pipe, not a small child making a craft. Yes, this episode has concluded. No doubt by now your nose has bled profusely for several minutes. Well, dear listener, quell your alarm. This plasmatic reaction is quite to be expected. Though our dear Bone Detective's mystery remains as such, for the time being, I can put this bloody little conundrum to rest immediately. You see, when the human brain is exposed to such high levels of intrigue and mystique as have just been so amply provided by tonight's episode, it necessarily atrophies, and huge quantities of cells are shed in large sheet-like swabs, thus causing a torrent of the human life force to gush out the nose for untold minutes. See, no cause for concern whatsoever. Now pinch the bridge, look straight up, and don't move until the next episode of Carver Crane Bottom, Bone Detective. Rude Alchemy is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Kane, Mr. Andy Wertner, and Mr. Ryan Whalen. Carver Crane Bottom Bone Detective, story by Mr. Wertner and Mr. Kane. This episode written by Mr. Wertner, edited by Mr. Kane, featuring the voices of Rude Alchemy. Music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Robb. For a listing of Creative Commons sound effects attributions, visit rudealchemy.com slash attributions. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And finally, does 15 years of marriage really mean that little to you, Denise? I guess it does, you heartless succubus. The Sonic Society Season 10 is written and produced by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music provided by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society through Creative Commons licensing. The Sonic Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada.
This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Apparently, you enjoy listening to audio dramas since you're hearing this message. I'll keep it short so you can get back to the fun stuff. If you would like to see and experience how all these stories, voices, sound effects, and music come together to create theater of the mind, make plans to visit the Modern Audio Drama Convention in Halifax, Nova Scotia, July 24th through 26, 2020. Meet the creators. Find out how to write, record, mix, sweeten, and produce movies that play in your head. See what the voices you hear actually look like. We never look like we sound. For all the details, visit madcon.com. That's M-A-D as in modern audio drama, then dash as in dash on over, then con as in convention, duh, then dot as in it'll be the most fun you've had in a while, period, then com as in come on over, we'll love to see you. Madcon, your ears and brain will thank you.